Are you interested in cracking the customer code? You've got customers, and we will help you work with them to deliver a great experience to grow your business. I'm Jeannie Walters. And I'm Adam Taport. Join us as we learn from those business leaders who get it. And a few who don't. And together we'll crack the customer code. Welcome to episode 12 of Crack the Customer Code. Today we are talking about how millennials are changing the marketplace, the way they're buying property, driving cars, drinking wine, and more. And my friend Annabelle will be joining us to talk about the customer experience in consumer packaged goods, specifically adult beverages. Very nice, because sometimes we need those for our customer hero, customer zero segment, but not this time, because we have a great customer hero story about an NFL team. You'll have to tune in to hear which one. But before we get into that, I heard you have some new stuff going on at 360 Connect. What is happening, Jeannie? Yeah, we do, Adam. It's really exciting. So in 2015, we've launched a monthly webinar series all about improving customer experience. It's free right now, and we're covering everything from social customer care to creating loyalty through small moments, improving the digital experience, and more topics throughout the year. Anyone can register at cxwebinar.com. That's cxwebinar.com. I want to talk about millennials because there's a lot of talk nowadays about millennials and their impact as consumers and how that impacts you know, our work as customer experience professionals. And I want to ask you a question that you're really not supposed to ask in polite company. Uh-oh. Are you a millennial? <laughs> I think you know better. <laughs> I'm just putting you on the spot. <laughs> I am not a millennial. I am part of Generation X, as you are, which is basically the ignored generation because there aren't enough of us to matter. <laughs> yes, we will have zero impact in world history. <laughs> but I think the millennial discussion that's been going on now for years is partially because of just the size of the generation. It's It's a large group of people. And also, I think there's a lot of enigma around who they are and how they behave. Yeah, I would agree. You know, I've worked with a lot of millennials, obviously, especially coming from retail. And, you know, for one thing, it's sort of the same as always, right? It's the younger generation is different than the generation ahead of it and all that. But there are some specific things for this generation that seem unique. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that shaped one through the economic environment. And certainly the thing we all talk about is how it's shaped through technology, social media, digitization, uh, smartphones, mm -hmm. all that. So, yeah, there are a lot of aspects to it when you're sort of looking at the generation as a whole. Right. Well, and to your point, I think that they are behaving in certain industries, and they're shaking it up without even knowing it, which is kind of cool, because they're making their own decisions, they're behaving in different ways. So for instance, cars, they aren't driving as much as other generations have, they aren't as interested in buying the new car. And part of that is because they like to live in cities, they're happy to live in cities and uh, walk and use public transportation and services like Zipcar. The sharing economy has a big part of this, too. And so when you look at how all these things merge together, it's, uh, it's, it's affecting not just, for instance, the auto industry, but all the ripple effect of what kind of products can we offer? What kind of services will appeal? How do we work with this generation in ways that we haven't had to for generations prior to them? Absolutely. And, you know, there's sort of the question of who they are now and who they're going to be. And who they are now is certainly, obviously, we're aggregating here because individualization, which we'll talk about, is very important. But who they are now is a question of how do they react differently than our generation or the baby boom generation? Mm -hmm. You know, How do they react to advertising? How do they react to responses on social media to different aspects of the customer experience and what products and services do they want 
Well, and I think a great example of that is a few years ago, all these reports and studies were coming out saying that millennials and all of us really are not owning what we used to own as far as possessions. Because when we would move from place to place, we being any generation really would have 30% of our possessions be books and music, because those were big things. I mean, I remember having crates of CDs, right? And then now you can basically fit all of that into your pocket. So there's this big move towards digital media. But the millennials are like, you know what, vinyl sounds better. So now they're buying all this vinyl. And they're creating a whole new market around record players and vinyl albums. And they also understand that some of the experience of music was being lost because instead of putting on a whole record and experiencing that whole thing, everybody was just buying these individual songs. And the millennials kind of bucked that and said, you know, no, we want that experience. We like how vinyl sounds. They're going back to paper books. And so because of that, they're really, it's hard to predict the behavior. And I think in the past, we could always say past behavior predicts future behavior. I don't think we can say that with this generation. No, absolutely. And I think immediacy is when you're looking at customer experience, immediacy is such a huge part. You know, they're, they're used to having everything at their fingertips, mm -hmm. you know, information, you know, access, so forth and so on. And we didn't have that. We were used to, you know, waiting a delay. You know, if you, didn't weren't able to talk to your friend on the phone. You you waited for a postcard. The busy signal. <laughs> Remember right. the busy signal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I noticed you mentioned crates of CDs, but you didn't mention crates of eight tracks. And let's be no. uh, let's be honest here. No, I never had an eight track. I will <laughs> I will swear to the heavens, I am not that old. <laughs> of <laughs> my, course, you're, of course. My older not. siblings did. My older siblings did, but I did not have eight tracks. But the other <laughs> thing that millennials are doing, which is kind of fascinating as well, is they're changing the wine industry. And if you think about that, that's such an old, storied, traditional industry that used to rely on an older demographic. And what's happening is the millennials are saying, you know what, we don't care about ratings. We're just going to drink what we like. We're not going to spend over $20 a bottle because it's not worth it. And there are some services coming out helping people enjoy that experience differently. One is called Tasting Room by Lot 18. And what they do is they actually sell a sample pack for like $6.99 or something. And you get it in the mail and you get these different types of wine. And then you go online and you say, this is what I liked. This is how I rated it. And then they send you customized packages based on your actual taste instead of what some wine critic says or what some wine magazine says. They don't care about that. And so I think that's really interesting too, that we're looking at the fact that we have to think outside the box with this generation. So we're going to see more innovation, which is kind of exciting. And I think that's, you know, to go back to your original point, that's the key is how big they are. Because to me, it is not a revelation that is specific to this generation. Yes, 20-year-olds like cheap wine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, this is not a new revelation. But what matters is how many of these 20-year-olds there are now and how they're purchasing in the way, like that website you just mentioned, you can you know, shape an experience using technology to reach them and to maximize that you know experience around it. Right, right. I think it's really exciting. And I also think... We're, we're going to continue to learn. That's all we can do. We can't necessarily predict what's going to happen. And I think they'll be carrying their vinyl records for a while and telling us what kind of wine to like. And that's pretty cool. So in closing, millennials, we love you. Buy lots of stuff from <laughs> us. Thank you. <laughs> and speaking of wine, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Anna Bell. Anna has held global corporate careers in both finance, and marketing in a variety of industries, including adult beverage, food, and home care. She is currently marketing director with E&J Gallo Winery, 
managing a number of spirit brands and living in sunny California with her husband and two young boys. And I can also attest that she's an avid and great cook. So Anna, (laughs) (laughs) thanks for being here today. Thank you for having me. We are delighted to have you. And one of the things that I think is really fascinating about the world you're in is that you are selling products, but not actually interacting directly with customers. So how does, how does a company like Gallo really get to know their customers? Yeah, it's a good question. I, you know, for us, especially as a marketer who sits in the home office, that is a challenge for us. Uh, the good news is that most people do actually like to talk about our products and our brands. So asking the question is not uh, something that tends to take a while to get some information out of people. They love to talk about it. Mm-hmm. For us, uh, you know, we use a number of different ways, formal, informal, uh, on-the-fly type stuff. We are very lucky in that consumers tend to call us on a pretty regular basis to our call center, provide us feedback, uh, tell us what's working, tell us what they like tell us how they used it. That helps us as marketers. So when they call the call center, is that a proactive step that a customer takes or do you request that feedback from them? No, interestingly enough, it's just a proactive thing. People, you know, will have a bottle of wine and they want to share. So hmm. they call us. Sometimes they'll email us. You know, it's not always a phone call. The, the uh, old fashioned way works, but we do get a lot of email. And then, of course, we also get a lot of interaction on our social media channels. And we listen very intently there as well. Cool. Excellent. Well, you know, Anna, we talk a lot about customer experience. So when you're talking about sort of an end user product, how do you view that experience, you know, from the standpoint of even packaging or what people experience when they you know, consume the product? How are you thinking about those types of things? Uh, we think about it in a lot of different ways. You know, we do think a lot about our packaging and what we're telling the consumer and, frankly, the customer as well about what's in the bottle, uh, how to use the product in the bottle, ideas for where to bring the bottle. All of that's really important to us. Uh, so we're thinking about that, but we're also thinking about the um, interaction that consumers have with, you know, the, the person behind the counter in some cases or inside the bar, the bartender. And we try to help provide as much information there as well so that people have a good experience and understand um, the best possible ways to use the product that, you know, that we sell. So, Anna, where do you see typical consumer product companies failing, taking into account the idea of customer experience when selling their products? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think there's lots of opportunities for uh, for goods, including in our industry, um, you know, as we kind of joked around about, uh, wine is fun to talk about, but it's also a little bit complex. And so uh, the biggest piece of advice I'd give is to simplify it as much as possible. Uh, Consumers don't have a lot of time when they're shopping or thinking about the products, and they don't want to have to spend a lot of time. So the more simple it can be from a package and a shelf, how to use the product, I think the better it would be for uh, everyone through the line, the consumer, the customer, and everyone that gets involved with the product itself. And so how do you work with people that are sort of um, promoting your product or you know, selling your product that don't actually work for you? Do you have programs in place, you know, either informal or formal? Yeah, we do. Um, we do have both informal and formal. From a formal perspective, we do provide a lot of information on a regular basis. Uh, oftentimes that comes through uh, publications from us, both um, you know, e-publications as well as physical paper. Uh, If you can imagine my world, there are a lot of um, large buyers, but there's also a lot of independent owners. 
that we have to work with. And sometimes good old fashioned paper works really well. So we use different ways to get uh, information out to them. And then we, of course, also uh, ourselves go out into the marketplace. I am frequently on the road, literally just talking face to face and getting to know the customer and asking questions around what was, you know, what are interactions like with our products, our competitors' products, what's happening in your store or in your restaurant. And so when you do that and you get that type of feedback, what kind of process do you use to kind of close that loop and make sure that the feedback goes back to the folks in your organization who can actually act on that feedback? Yeah, that's a good question. That is actually a very formal process for us. Uh, We do capture all of the notes from those trips and those travels. Uh, We have um, a really formal process around actually going through those notes before we leave the town or that trip uh, so that we're sharing and talking about the information we gathered, uh, talking about actions, next steps. And then we formalize that by sending out official notes to everyone that was involved and those that need to action it uh, and follow up within about three to six months, depending on the market, to see how are we doing. Well, I love hearing that. I think more organizations could learn from that for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a very important part of really our culture and our heritage. It's something that our founding fathers really put in place as a process, and we continue to use it 80 years later. And you mean your Gallo founding fathers, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I'm pretty sure the founding fathers were also fans of spirits and such, but (laughs) definitely Franklin and Jefferson. (laughs) (laughs) And what do you wish everyone knew about wine and spirits? (laughs) Uh, You know, it's funny. We get a lot of questions when I tell people that I'm in the wine industry. Uh, Oh my gosh, should I drink red with fish? Is that a mistake? And what I like (laughs) to tell everybody is there's no mistakes. You drink what you like and enjoy it. And please don't worry about what everybody else thinks you're supposed to drink. If you like it, that's the best possible choice you can make. That's great advice. That's great. So Anna, this was fantastic. Where can people find you on the internet if they're looking for a little more information? Uh, They can go visit us at enjgallowinery.com. Great talking with you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. Jeannie, guess what time it is? What time is it? It is time for Customer Hero, Customer Zero. Now, I know you are a huge NFL fan, aren't you? Well, specifically, I'm a long-suffering Chicago Bears fan, (laughs) actually. (laughs) Well, you know, I don't follow long-suffering. Have you not been winning? Oh, geez. Let's not even talk about this season. Okay. We're not talking about it ever again. (laughs) Okay. But, you know, I love the Bears, but today we're going to actually talk about a different team, the Carolina Panthers, because they have done something really great and we're making them our customer hero this week. They, they're awesome. And as a Carolina boy, I've got to give a little shout out. So this is a great story. All right. So Cade Pope, who was a 12 year old NFL fan, I guess he lived where there's not a team. So he sent a letter to each of the 32 NFL teams a few weeks ago and asked for help deciding which team he was going to be a fan of. And only one franchise responded. And guess who that was? The Carolina Panthers. Pretty cool, huh? It's really cool. And I love how he wrote to the CEOs of the teams and the owners. So he went big and he's from Yukon, Oklahoma. So he was, he was seriously asking, who can I cheer for? Who should I be a fan for? And they were handwritten letters to every single leader of an NFL franchise. 
And the Panthers owner, he's just, it was really cool. So Jerry Richardson sent uh, Cade a handwritten letter back. And also they sent him a package, like they sent him some swag. I think it was a, like a Panthers helmet signed by a star linebacker. And you know, they basically said, we'd be honored if you were to root for the Carolina Panthers. I, I love that the owner took him so seriously and also invited him, basically saying that we're the lucky ones to have you as a fan. It's really, really cool. Yeah, and there was a cool quote from it. They said in the letter 2K, they said, we would make you proud by the classy way we represent you. And I think, you know, we always talk about actions speak louder than words, because mm-hmm. I think the response itself was like one of the most classy things I've heard of from an NFL team. Well, and ironically, we talked on this podcast before about the Seattle Seahawks and what they do with the 12th fan and how they have number 12s all over Seattle and people feel very invested in the team. And I was kind of surprised that they did not respond to this letter. So what that tells me is that maybe there's a lot of kind of group emphasis, like we want the numbers of fans. But when it comes to this individual kid, it's really powerful that he got this one response back and they took it so seriously. And it actually reminds me of something with my nephew when he was younger, when he was like 10 or 12, somewhere around there. He had this idea for how to improve MP3 players, which at the time were not that advanced. So he drew pictures and he wrote a letter to both Microsoft and Apple. And guess who he heard back from? Who? Bill Gates. <laughs> wow. He never got a response from Apple. And he got a really beautiful letter from Bill Gates. They sent him something that basically said, if you want to help us in the future, become an engineer. Here's how you do that. Here are some of the cool things you can do. Unfortunately, we can't take ideas from the outside, but we love that you wrote us. And the fact that Apple has this reputation of being so customer centric and yet didn't respond really has stuck with me because, and this is another example of that, the Carolina Panthers, they didn't necessarily have this reputation. But when I see this as an individual example, it just warms your heart. It makes you feel good. It makes you want to cheer for them as long as they're not playing the Bears. (laughs) with that caveat it makes you want to cheer for them well you know we always talk about that sort of one to many and many to one and you've always you know you've got to do economies of scale you've got to focus on the group but customers are still built one at a time Mm -hmm. and you know and he said you know this is the only team that responds i'm a carolina panthers fan and i bet he will be for life which is great so go go panthers and go cade nice job Thanks for listening to episode 12 of Crack the Customer Code. I'm Adam Deporek, and my website is customersthatstick.com. And I'm Jeannie Walters, and you can find out more about me at 360connects.com. You can also find more episodes and show notes available at crackthecustomercode.com. And please subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, you can leave a review so others can find our show. And please tell someone you know because you know we love word-of-mouth referrals. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.